Before we start this episode of Conversations with Kenyatta, I'm excited to tell you about my new partnership with Audible. Listeners can go to www.audibletrial.com backslash Kenyatta to receive a free 30-day trial. Audible is a wonderful resource with audiobooks for every reader. It even has titles from authors that have been on my podcast, such as Dr. Dan Bouts' Democracy's Data and Gail Lukasik's White Like Her. And please note that this is an affiliate link. So I may receive a commission with no cost to you, just a fee trial with so many wonderful titles. And I love to read. But with that, here's this week's episode of Conversations with Kenyatta. Welcome to episode 36 of Conversations with Kenyatta. Today, our guest is Stacey Cole. She is the creator and editor of They Had Names, African-Americans in early Liberty County, Georgia. So Stacey, welcome to Conversations with Kenyatta. I'm excited to have you here today. And one of my first questions, which I think is a common question for genealogists, is sort of, you know, how did you get interested? You know, what sparked your interest in genealogy? You know, was it something you started when you were younger or older? I think my answer is probably a little bit unusual because I actually didn't start genealogy at all until about 2017. I retired from the federal government in 2014 and I promptly got bored out of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) My sister turned over her ancestry account and said, stop complaining, go do this. (laughs) So I started researching my family and I found to my, I was living in Brunswick, Georgia, where I am now, but I didn't Mm -hmm. grow up here. My parents grew up here and then moved back after retirement. And that's how I ended up here when I uh, retired and my husband and I moved down here. So I was researching my father's side, the Ashmore side, and I found out that they were actually from Liberty County. I thought they were from Brunswick. In fact, I had never heard of Liberty County at that point um, because Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up here. So I started researching. I found a lot of research had already been done, started meeting cousins. So as I was meeting the cousins, that went, as I started to do genealogy, one of them gave me a copy of my fourth great-grandfather's 1841 will. His name was John Ashmore, and the will named 11 enslaved people that mm-hmm. he was divvying out to um, his heirs. And that was the first time that it really struck me that I might be able to find out what happened to these people, mm. um, that there were actual names associated with them, and that with my budding genealogy skills, maybe I could find out. So by that time, I knew enough to go to the 1870 census. And I went and out of the 11 people, only one had taken the Ashmore surname. And so I started Mm. researching him. That was Toby Ashmore. And as I researched him uh, forward into time, I found he died in 1877 and he was married and had children. I realized that I had already collected some things that mentioned him that I hadn't Mm. even really thought about. And so Mm. as I went backward, I realized I actually had a record of his baptism um, in the church that they all attended in uh, 1830. Um, And I had family letters written in the 18, actually in 1878, describing how he had died Mm. uh, and, and saying also that he was that um, the woman who wrote it, that her grandmother had raised him as if he was part of the family. And at this time, I thought that might mean that, oh, they were good, you know, yes. good mm-hmm. enslavers. 
So, and there's of course more to that story that I did find out. Yeah. So, uh, I wanted to get in touch with any descendants that I could find to pass along this information that they wouldn't be able to find because it wasn't online. And so I figured out finally that anybody, any descendants could find Toby Ashmore in the 1870 census the way I could. Mm -hmm. So I started looking for people who had put him in their trees and then I would message them. And I got several responses and um, one of them, we, we became friendly and, um, you know, became Facebook friends and all of that. And one day I got a call and said, I'm going to be near you um, tomorrow morning. Why don't we meet for breakfast? So we did, mm. had a great time, and he gave me access to his DNA. Mm. Now, we had both suspected that Toby Ashmore was probably my fourth great-grandfather's child because he was listed as mulatto in the 1870 census. But the DNA showed that it was true. Um, mm. So we were, so I, now I had additional uh, cousins. So from there, as I talked to the descendants, I really came to understand how much harder it was for them to find information about their ancestors than it was for me. I mean, mm -hmm. it was pretty much all waiting for me when I started. Um, and a lot of the information they needed was in those unindexed um, but digitized images of uh, court records, deed records, probate records. And I started to realize that every single person would have to go through every single record in order to, looking for first names. And right. then try to put all the information together, which of course is what people have to do. But I just picked a project, which was the wills. And I thought, I'm just going to go through those and I'm going to extract the names and I'm going to put them online. And then it was kind of like eating popcorn, you know, you can't, you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on the estate inventories and a friend volunteered to uh, start abstracting those for me too. And then went on to the deed records and found church records. And that's what led to the website, basically. It mm. started as a free blog because I figured that if you, a blog post is essentially like a database record um, because you can search a blog. And that way people could search for names and they could pull up all the records that that, that name came in. And it's mm -hmm. just kind of gone from there. So the, the website really started about 2018. Okay. Uh, and, and today we have um, 37,000 some uh, names on it, references to um, named African-Americans, both enslaved and free. It's okay. mostly antebellum records, but okay. I did start doing um, end of the century records because I kept finding I was losing people between 1880 and 1900, of course. And there's right. so many records that allow, you know, to put those people at least in a place and time. So a couple of questions for you. Um, we'll get to the website uh, in a second, but in just starting out on your genealogy journey and finding that you had, and your fourth great grandfather had um, named 11 enslaved people in his will um, and reaching out to descendants. You talked a little bit about that experience and to some, and you got friendly with someone. Did you have anyone that had a negative reaction to you reaching out or were most people positive responses? Everyone had a positive response to my reaching out, but they had different ways of dealing with the information. So uh, Charlie, my new cousin, uh, embraced me, welcomed me into his family, basically. 
Um, someone else I was in contact with, it, it was actually a beautiful story because she had just retired recently, but she hardly had any family left. And mm. she had moved down south. She got in touch with Charlie. This information gave her the knowledge that she had relatives in Liberty County. And even though we were Facebook friends, and but we didn't have you know much contact, but I heard that she had gone uh, and had a reunion with them at the church um, mm. that, that that all of the people in that area went to. And I, I didn't know, she. it just made me so happy uh, that she had found her family. Someone else told me, we're still Facebook friends, she told me that she was just really having a lot of trouble dealing with the fact that her aunt, thinking about the reality of her ancestors having been enslaved. Mm. And so she had chosen not to pursue genealogy anymore, but as far as I know, we were still on good terms. And then one man, um, I didn't hear back from him, didn't hear back from him. And finally I did a year later and he told me that he had had a friend over and was telling him how great ancestry was and got into his account and suddenly saw the message. Um, so the other thing is I've been trying, I, I reach out now sometimes to people if I think I can help with something. But one of the purposes for the website is I don't feel like the descendant of the enslaved should have to talk to the descendant of the enslaver to get the information that they need. So I put it out there and they can go, they can go get it. They don't need me at all, though I'm um, willing to help. So now mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't reach out the way I did before, which is I've got information about so-and-so, contact me. Now right. when I reach out, I just pass along the information that I have and, and they can write back if they want to. Right. And so the website is They Had Names, African-Americans in Early Liberty County, Georgia. Right. And so, you know, that's interesting you bring up the descendants of the enslaved and the enslaver and being a descendant of enslaved people um, and us kind of, you know, not, we shouldn't have to go to the enslaver to find our family history. Um, yeah. I think it's helpful. I, I think the way you did it in the beginning, I think is, is helpful because you have the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Because you found the information out as a descendant of an enslaver and a lot of people have problems with that. They don't even want to acknowledge that that happened. Right. And they may not even give the information, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you found it out, shared it, and then said, I realize how hard this is. I want to create a whole website dedicated to this one county, um, which I think is great. Because it is a touchy subject, but it's something that comes up in genealogy, um, obviously, and what we have to do. But the other thing you mentioned was that one of the descendants had a hard time processing mm -hmm. that her family was enslaved. And um, that's also kind of the trauma we deal with in doing research um, in our family history or in our genealogy, but especially for African-Americans. And, and it's, it's, I don't know how to help, you know, in all the 20 plus years I've been doing genealogy, I don't know how to, how to make it any easier, so to speak, right? To take right. that that information. Um, but I think it's great that you have done this for Liberty County, Georgia. Um, and so tell us a little bit about Liberty County. Like, 
location. Well, I never heard of it until I saw your website and I forgot how I came across it, but um, until I saw your website. Mm-hmm. So where's Liberty County? Um, tell us a little bit about the county and then the records that you have on the website. Liberty County is a little south and west of Savannah, Georgia. So right along the Georgia coast. And that's where I am actually now. I'm about an hour south of Savannah along the coast in Brunswick, the Golden Isles, Jekyll Island, St. Simons Island. So Liberty County has actually an amazing history. It's one Mm -hmm. of the oldest counties in Georgia, and it was named Liberty because the people there basically dragged Georgia into the Revolutionary War kicking and screaming um, because a lot of Georgians did not want to join on the revolutionary side. But Liberty County itself, there's an area called Midway, and there was a group of white planters uh, who were of Puritan origin, actually, from Massachusetts, some of them. So this group of settlers, uh, white planters, came to the Midway area. They had settled in Dorchester, South Carolina, a little west, I think, of Charleston uh, in the 1690s, but the land started giving out there. And of course, Georgia had originally, when it started as a uh, province, it had made slavery illegal. But these white planters with all their plantations and their enslaved people, um, they were agitating against that from the beginning. And they finally got it overturned around 1749, 1750. And then surprise, surprise, they all started moving to um, the Midway area. And over the next 10 years or so, about 350 families came with about three times that number in enslaved people. So Liberty County has pretty much always been majority African-American. Uh, it varies off and on because Fort Stewart is that there now, which changed the, the demographics a little bit. But um, also because it was a very unhealthy environment, yellow fever, mm. all of that. So... Um, what happened was a lot of times the white planters would have settlements inland a bit and they would leave the plantations and they would go inland and spend um, the summers or whatever. And they would leave the enslaved people on the plantations with say only a white overseer. Um, And so they were able to develop the unique culture that we know as Geechee culture, Um, Mm, Gullah in South Carolina, Geechee in coastal Georgia. And Liberty County is definitely part of that. So when I started looking at the records, I actually started with, I had the weirdest experience, if you don't mind my, my telling you about this. I, sure. I was, it was starting with my own family genealogy. And so I found that there was a cemetery in Liberty County. A find a grave said it had one Ashmore grave. So my husband and I went up there and there were actually 40 Ashmore graves. And so I'm documenting them for find a grave. And I see this large headstone For a man, it said he was a Swiss gentleman who had died in Liberty County uh, after 1870, and his name was Valentine Crest. And so I just thought, oh, poor man, maybe his, you know, relatives are looking for him. So I took the picture and I put it on Find a Grave. And a few days later, this woman named Amber Stark Hartley contacted me and said, he's my relative by marriage. I've been looking for that headstone for years. Um, She said, but what you need to know about Valentine Crest is he was the enslaver of Susie King Taylor, the um, the uh, uh, the Civil War nurse who mm. um, was with the U.S. Colored Troops, and she was the only African American woman to write a memoir of her service with the U.S. Colored Troops. 
And she said, and you need to know there's this historian who has moved from Atlanta to Liberty County to, she started an institute to tell Susie King Taylor's story. And so that put me in touch with Hermina Glass Hill, who is just an amazing person. And we three bonded and we started doing research together. And um, at the time we were complaining about the Liberty County Historical Society because it had gone defunct. Well, now, several years later, I have this website and Hermina is the first African-American president of the Liberty County Historical Society. (laughs) So it was kind of just an amazing coincidence. Um, Amber is the one who told me that all these records I was looking for, the deed records, the probate records, that they were all online at Family Search and Ancestry, but not indexed. So I couldn't search for them, not digitally indexed. And so Mm -hmm. I started looking at them and that's where I found all the wills and estate inventories. So basically what I did was I went page by page through, and, and you know, it's, it's tens of thousands of pages. Yeah. Looking for any record that named enslaved people and then either abstracted it or transcribed it. And Kathy Dillon, a friend joined me uh, uh, along the way. And she did, she likes to transcribe, not research. So she would just do the transcriptions of the estate inventories. And then we started also, we did all the deed records. So we've done all the wills, estate inventories and deeds from 1762 to 1865 that named enslaved people. Any church records I found. And then also the um, US Southern Claims Commission. It turned out that there were large numbers of claimants from Liberty County. That was the commission set up by Congress in 1871, I think it was, for anyone who had property taken by Mm -hmm. the federal troops. Um, And it turned out actually that the majority of the claimants in Liberty County were African-American, formerly Mm. enslaved people, most of them. And they had property to steal because of the task system, because at the end of the day, when they were done with the task assigned them, many of them were given, um, allowed to plant crops or raise stock or things like mm, that. Okay. Yeah. So they, um, about 80 people submitted claims and we've transcribed about 60 of the claims now and put them online. And I've researched about 40 of the claimants and, uh, an associate professor now retired at Georgia Southern university, Dr. Peggy Hargis had done some research on that before. And she had created a list of about 275, freed people and who their last enslaver was wow. based on those records, which is, uh, I mean, that's just tremendous. So that's my goal is to help people bridge the gap between the 1870 census and um, slavery. And so that also told us that actually only about 10% of mm-hmm. freed people from Liberty County took the surname of the last enslaver. And what I've really am it just keeps getting cemented in my research that for most of them, the name they took was the name of a very early enslaver of their family. Mm. It's almost like pointing back for their descendants um, to their Mm -hmm. family tree. And in fact, I was just, I've been in touch for several years with a man whose family bought um, 300 acres from their enslaver right after the civil war. And it's still in the family today. Wow. But, but their surname is not the same as the last enslaver. And I realized I had done some research a while back that actually put the whole story together and, and found the enslaver uh, 
the surname they took was the enslaver who sold them to the last enslaver in 1831. Wow. Uh, going, and going back into the late 1700s. And in fact, um, the, even the first name, um, we were discussing the first name of his ancestors in the 1870 census. That first name goes back to the 1780s. I mean, you can trace it mm -hmm. back in the records. So what I've really found from the website is that, uh, and this sounds like a cliche, but it's more than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, not only can you pull up information on your ancestors, but seeing all the information together helps you put together a story that, that you wouldn't be able to otherwise, I think. So Stacey, one of the things I, I want to say thank you, first of all, for what you do, because I know it's hard work, a lot of effort. I am struck by the fact that you have someone who transcribes as well for you, which is, is a lot. And, and, and it's necessary and needed. And I, you brought up a good point around the surname, right, for these folks post, you know, slavery or post-emancipation and that it's not always the enslaver's last name, or it's an earlier, it's not always the last enslaver's surname, it's an earlier name, right? Right. Um, and that you've discovered that. Do you think, and I don't know, well, first let me ask you this question. How long did this process take for you to get all the information up onto the website? Like as far as number of years, I'm assuming it took years. I started in 2018. And what I did was um, my goal has been never to be holding information that might be useful to someone without mm -hmm. them being able to access it, because I don't know when they're going to come along and want it. So I started a free WordPress blog and I started putting the records up there immediately. So the records are basically available as, as I or we produce them. It was an ongoing process, right? You didn't wait yes. to do everything at once and then put it up, which makes sense. Where I was going with that is, since you've done that, I wonder if this could be a model for other folks in their own counties they're researching, right? And have access to certain records or know, or live in those counties where yes. they could go through and do the same thing. That would be one. I think it could be a model for that. But the other part is, do you know of anyone else who's done the level of work that you've done for Liberty County, Georgia? I don't really. I've had a number of people contact me over this time, mm -hmm. and I sit down and talk with them. I think the best thing to do is to just start. Do the free blog. Just start. Someone else had a great idea of you can just start a Google Doc, and you can you know, post hmm. it to a Google site and then it's online. And as you add to the Google doc, it's there and it's uh, searchable, which is the main thing. What I've found is that most people, they want to really think it out before they start, Yes, <laughs> which I completely understand. But once you go down that database road, you are probably never coming out of there with a product is, it has been my experience, uh, at least not with a, a grant of some kind. And this has all been, it, it really doesn't, cost me anything to do this and everything is available for free. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing is that it really takes, um, I'm retired. I have the time. A lot of people who have contacted me are doing this as kind of a side project. And mm. uh, I completely understand that it's, it's a lot for that. And it's, it's very tedious for a lot of people. Um, I, I enjoy it, but um, yeah. I think that I'm, I'm hoping that Ancestry 
is coming up with a solution to that because as they are, as I'm watching them index a lot of these records, I mean, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're really doing an, an amazing job. I see some of the names are wrong, but mm-hmm. um, not all of them. And that that would be a middle ground, I think, between the uh, kind of comprehensive, what we've done with Bayhead names and just being able to search a particular county for records that have the name that you're looking for. Yeah, the name of the enslaved is what you're referring to, correct? Yes, yeah. yes, or both. both. Or both, okay. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to switch gears here and talk about the article that you wrote for the Georgia Genealogy Society quarterly on Abraham Houston. So who is Abraham Houston and sort of, you know, why is he important to history? And what made you write about him? What happened was um, I wanted to research those 11 people that were in the will. And I had found Toby Ashmore and I had found Frank Williams was a neighbor of Toby Ashmore's. And I was able to determine he was one of the people from the will. And there was, uh, I've actually been able to trace most of them because of Friedman's bank records. Mm-hmm. Because it turned out actually that of the 11 people, eight were a family. Sibby was the mother of seven of the others. And, but Abram was not one of those siblings. So he wasn't named in the Freedman's bank records, mm. but Abram Houston was living near Frank Williams and Toby Ashmore. So I thought, let me try to research and figure out if this is the Abram of the will. I was pretty quickly able to determine that it wasn't. There was an Abram who was baptized around the same time as Toby in the same church and listed as, um, enslaved by um, Ashmore's, but that church did not, um, Abram Houston was born around 1830s mm-hmm. based on census records, and that church did not uh, conduct infant baptism. So mm. if he was baptized around 1830 and they didn't do infant baptism, they did adult baptism, that couldn't be the same Abram. So I started researching and I was able through searching my website to be able to put together that this Abram Houston, who his enslaver had been. And then the thing that I really found interesting, in the 1870 census, it had his wife and his children, and three of the children were born before emancipation in the 1850s. So in theory, if an enslaver had had probate records from after that time, they might be named. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Liberty County, a lot of people had away marriages. So the the enslaved man would be on one plantation and the enslaved woman with their children mm-hmm. would be on another plantation. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I searched the website for her name and the three children's names. And it, it came up in an estate inventory for Bartholomew Busby, which was not a name I would at all have thought to associate um, with them. And so I was able to find his family, his wife and his children. And then also there were um, several other men who took the surname Houston Mm -hmm. uh, in the 1870 census. And they were all listed on the same plantation together. uh, And there was a woman's name before theirs, um, which I am virtually certain was their mother, because Mm. a lot of the estate inventories there did list people without specifying. They listed people in family order. So, so I thought, well, let me write that up one, because it shows the process you can use, 
but also because in the vein of encouraging other people to take on these kinds of projects, mm-hmm. that article took me about two days to research. Mm. You, you can imagine if you were having to page through all those records to find that. I had one man who contacted me and uh, asked me to see what I could find on his ancestor. And I said, well, before you give me all the information, let me try to see what I can get because I'm always trying to figure out if my research process is good. Right. And I gave him what, he found, what I found. And he said he had about 75% of that, but he had been researching for 15 years. And it had taken wow. me a day or so. And, and that's just wrong. <laughs> you know, it should, right. it should not be that, that right. hard. The information should be available. Yeah, it should. I mean, I, I, you know, that's why I think what you're doing is so great is because it shouldn't be that hard, but most of the time it is that hard, it is. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't have time to do my own research. People know that. And, but in my family, you know, I can go back on my maternal side to uh, Culpeper, Madison County, Virginia, but, you know, I have my fourth and fifth grade grandmother who enslaved. I don't know anything really about them, right? Um, as far as, I don't know if Martha was Mildred's only daughter. Did she have siblings? Right. You know, stuff like that. Um, the last name is Payne, which is very common, and you know, especially mm-hmm. in Virginia. So it shouldn't be that hard, but it is, I think, for, for most people, even folks with a lot of experience. Um, and as you mentioned, you're retired, right? So you have right. the time. So I have the time. Yeah, you have the time to take mm-hmm. and to write this story and look for it. Um, I hope that, you know, in the process, and you can let me know if you're doing this or not, that you're able to share the stories of others, you know, maybe in another article somewhere to, to inspire people. Because genealogy can be overwhelming, I think, too. I do have um, some stories on the website. My plan when I started was not to tell stories because who am I? I didn't grow up there. I'm not a right. historian. I'm a you know newbie genealogist at that point. Um, but some of the stories just kept jumping out. And, and I figured um, that I'm probably the most familiar with these records mm-hmm. that anyone is because they're you know, it's, it's 2022 now. They're all available online. I can sit at my desk and look at them. Whereas people used to have to go to the courthouse and right. take pictures and things. So I have written up some of the stories that I can put together. That's great. I mean, I think the um, sharing the stories, and I totally understand your perspective, right? Of who am I to like tell this person's story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. But I also feel like, that sometimes people don't know what they don't know. And that doesn't make sense as it comes out of my mouth. But what I'm saying is no, that, yes, yeah, yes. It's, it's just like, you know, some people may be searching or they may want to know, or they may be like the other woman who basically found out that she was a descendant of enslaved people and kind of said, I don't want to do genealogy, right? Or I'm not, I can't deal with this right now as I'm processing it. Mm-hmm. That happens. But I do feel like, being able for sharing what you have found some of the remarkable stories helps other people in doing like their research and whatnot. And so, um, and inspire people because that's really one of the things that I, one of the reasons I do genealogy is to inspire others to want to learn more about their family history. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to bring to light 
part of this podcast, the stories of others, mm-hmm. right, um, in the past and the resources that we may not know exist. So this is definitely one of them. I kind of, I look at this project that you've done with, um, they had names as kind of, you know, it's a study of a county of slavery in a county in Georgia. And those studies can be done by, sometimes are done by people who are pursuing a PhD, right? And they do for their dissertation and then they write a book about it. But like you said, you're not a historian, but you're still able to do it. So it means that every, not everyone, but everyday people can do it, right? I'm hoping that people who are working in um, the history field will feel free to use the information too, because it's all right there. And um, there's a lot of just really interesting stories to be told out of that county that mm-hmm. have surprised me, at least, that seem more complex than I would have thought that that the situation was back then. So the another goal is kind of what you alluded to in that it's not only to help African-Americans looking for their descent, for their ancestors, mm-hmm. but to encourage other people like me to mm-hmm. make the information available and to start talking about it and to stop putting those rose-colored glasses on when they look at the past, um, which is pretty much what most historical societies do, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because they they really don't want to talk about those difficult issues. And so I'm hoping that just by putting it out there, no one will be able to deny that it happened because it's right there in black and white what their ancestors were. Right. And that's great. It gets people talking, right? It gets people mm-hmm. talking. It's, it, it gets people to address um, the past, right? And mm-hmm. acknowledge it. So I appreciate that. And I want to thank you so much for what you do again, um, but for coming on Conversations with Kenyatta. Uh, this has been great. I encourage everyone to look at the website. They had names, African-Americans in early Liberty County, Georgia. So thanks so much, Stacey. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm a great admirer of yours. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Conversations with Kenyatta is produced by Kenyatta D. Berry and Caitlin Owl and features Kenyatta D. Berry. The music for this episode was Good Vibe by Ketza. Follow Kenyatta on Instagram under the handle kenyatta.berry on Facebook at facebook.com slash KenyattaDB, and on Twitter at KenyattaDB. You can also find more information on her book and upcoming events on her website at KenyattaBerry.com. As a reminder, the views expressed by guests on Conversations with Kenyatta are their own and do not reflect the views of Kenyatta D. Berry.